of our guest this week, who is highly credentialed. <laughs> he's a meme. He's a meme expert. War in the 21st century is really transforming into this sort of digital war, influence peddling through covert means. Hillary Clinton, she's the presumptive nominee for the Democrats. She gave a 30-minute speech on August 25th, attacking a cartoon frog. Welcome to Majority of BC. I'm your host, Jordan Schroeder. With me is co-host Zoe Ferry. Say hi to everybody, Zoe. Hello, everyone. All right, our guest this week, well, he doesn't really have any specific credentials, uh, but he does know a lot about memes, and that is our theme for the week. And he might just be the dark lord of 4chan himself. Uh, Steve Ashtahan, welcome to Majority of BC. Hi, Jordan. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on. So, uh... My name is Siavash. I'm not particularly you know, credentialed in this, but I've been following the sort of narrative and the story arc regarding the memes and the meme wars, especially as it relates to the 2016 U.S. presidential election. And Which is often referred to as the great meme war. Correct. We're yeah. all meme war veterans. You know, our, our guests, or our viewership is made up of a lot of different people, a lot of different age, age groups. And again, I'm not saying that you know, one age group will have more expertise in memes than the other, or that one group might be totally uninformed. But <laughs> the fact is, you know, people have different conceptions of what memes are. They, and some people would think that, that it's just like the picture and caption, but really memes are a lot bigger than that, I think. Uh, what would you say? Yes, so, so a meme, I mean, it's a word that, you know, is defined in the dictionary as, a, as an idea or an element of culture or system of behavior that may be considered to be passed down from one inv individual to another through means other than genetic, but usually meaning through means like imitation. So it's basically a cultural idea that is replicated through imitation. The way that this idea gets uh, manifested in, in political discourse and in cultural discourse is that memes are embodied in humorous images, video, pieces of text that is copied often with very slight uh, modifications or variations and are spread very rapidly through the internet and through users. It's a, it's a visual or audio package that is very information rich and information dense and that it is shared in a viral manner online. And is it like always comedy? Not necessarily. It could be dark, it could be light, it could be funny, sad, humorous. It really is captures an essence of an idea. Um, whether that idea or that emotion is sadness or happiness, angst, worry, whatever it may be. It's just a very condensed packet of information and emotion. And so I think it's become more, more of a, a common term recently because, uh, you know, so you're describing it not just necessarily as a picture, but as an idea that gets spread around. Uh, and the internet has made it so much easier to spread ideas, and then particularly some forms of the internet, like Twitter, have made it really easy to spread concise ideas. And yes. so you have like the picture memes will get uh, shared so widely and so easily uh, that you know when we started going on Facebook in 2006, we had like the the prototypical memes, like you know cat memes generally. What were you saying? <laughs> Yes. Brian memes, Bad yeah. Bad luck Brian and all yeah. those kinds of very classic memes. Yeah, those were just like the giant pictures with like a, some large font text at the bottom. 
And uh, those were typically like very simple ideas and they just had like one set template and then you just add some text on the bottom. And, uh, and that was it. And now they've evolved into like this weird sort of political weapon, I guess. Yeah, so a lot of us, especially those of us, I would say roughly under the age of 30, remember in high school or maybe in early university, or maybe even some of us who are younger in late elementary school, uh, sort of popular macro images, pictures of, let's say, good guy Greg or bad, uh, bad luck Brian or uh, scumbag Steve or success kid, if you guys remember that cute little kid with the sort of hand motion of really capturing success and a childish uh, wonder and amazement and satisfaction being happy. And of course, there's the uh, troll, <laughs> the troll face meme with the problem that used to be posted by uh, by various people when they were trying to instigate a fight on online platforms. Um, so these were very early stages. These were when memes were just fun. These people are kind of archetypes. They are symbols of real world existence. But because of the way these pictures are taken, they represent a, a pure essence of an idea, an archetype a symbol that is almost pure and that many different ideas can be layered onto it even though the symbol remains relatively fixed. It's the same one goofy picture of this poor guy, Bad Luck Brian, same one positive, happy-looking picture of Good Guy Greg. It's the same picture of Scumbag Steve. It's all the same picture, but there's so many different ideas that can be layered on top of it because there's an essence to these images, which is a an essence that is archetypical, that is true. It is almost like a form. And by form, I mean a Plato's form. So people who are listening to this, I hope, can recollect some of their uh, high school or early university <laughs> um, memory of philosophy classes where we were taught about Plato and, the f and his theory of forms. So Plato's theory of forms is that no, the real world doesn't really exist. It's just a reflection of a pure essence. So his idea is that information is ideas, and memes are Plato's forms, in a way. So according to Plato's theory of forms, uh, ideas in this sense are often capitalized and translated as ideas or forms. They are the non-physical essence of all things, of which objects and matter in the physical world are merely Imitations. So, for example, when you think, when you look up at the sky or at the sun, you see a circle. Okay, is that a circle or is that a, a an imitation of the pure circle? It appears as a circle, but is that the circle? I'm going to be honest. You're giving me a lot of PTSD here. Going back to undergrad. <laughs> this is undergrad or like yeah, grade twelve. It's been like six, class. seven years, man. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so that's the idea. Like when you see a stick on the ground, that's a stick. It resembles the uh, geometric figure of a line, but it's not a line. But a line doesn't exist anywhere except imitations of a line. So a stick could be a line, a tree could be a line, a, a, a microphone could be a line. Like there's many different real world instantane, instantaneous, instant imitations, sorry, of a line. But the true line is the idea of a line, a perfect straight line. So these early memes, they're kind of like, it's almost like when somebody discovers a new technology and it gets used for like fairly innocent purposes at first where people are like, oh, we're just like discovering this. We're realizing how, how 
how effective this can be at conveying this idea that I want, and nobody's weaponized it yet. I want to move to now uh, just how exactly the uh, like memes became really politicized, specifically in the in the Donald Trump election in in 2016. Uh, give people like a little bit of background on that because that's very interesting, and that's kind of when that's really when they started being very political. Sure. So in the 2016 U.S. election, um, of course, Donald Trump. When he was running, it seemed like he was running a joke candidacy, an absurd theater of the bizarre and banal and crass, really. It, it, it's, if I could put everyone back into the mindset of late 2015, early 2016, it just seemed like a joke. People were saying that he was doing it for pumping up his, um, his, apprentice. his apprentice, like a season 16 or whatever it People was. People thought it was like Ashton Kutcher was going to pop out yeah, and be like, yeah, everyone... Every, because it just seems so absurd and extreme and silly and rude in every way. Um, but the reality was that uh, even though he had less money, and many people forget this, the other Republicans had much more money than Donald Trump. They had much more favorable news coverage than Donald Trump. And that's the other Republicans, let alone the Democrats, who had pretty much the entire um, elite and coastal media on their side. Um, the Trump campaign had really no money, no organizational skill, no backing from the Republican Party, really. And it just had an extremely dedicated... <laughs> autistic online contingent who were just able to troll their way into controlling the narrative of the campaign. And one of the ways they did that is through these images, these characters that they created or they repurposed from comic books. So like there's a character that was very famous. Uh, it's a green frog named Pepe. So they really car created a cartoon of Pepe and they merged it with Donald Trump's face and his and Donald Trump's weird hair and it became a whole scene and a situation up to the point where Hillary Clinton, now Hillary Clinton is a senior American politician, former first lady, a former senator, a former secretary of state. She's the presumptive nominee for the Democrats and the assumed winner of the election. She gave a 30 minute speech on August 25th, 2016, and I encourage everyone to look it up on YouTube, it's still there, on Hillary Clinton's own account, a 30 minute speech attacking a cartoon frog. So I had no idea about this. This is totally true. <laughs> I encourage everyone to look it up. Uh, I actually have a link in the presentation. I don't know if uh, uh, we'll put it below the put YouTube. It uh, yeah, that'll yeah. be good. But it really was absurd looking at the speech that she found it fit a person with such power and such prestige and such a clear road to being the president of America, the 45th president to be spending 30 minutes in the middle of a campaign talking about a frog and how it's raised. Like, what? This is like a bizarre... It's, it's Kafkaesque. It's, it's a situationist <laughs> international brought to reality. And here's the most amazing thing. During her speech, she got heckled by a guy who yelled Pepe at her. <laughs> so it just shows that maybe she wasn't even wrong to be so threatened by this frog because no. apparently this frog had activists in her own speeches. <laughs> So it's just this this whole meme culture and this meme war, it really bled into real world so harshly that it was around this point that I started following these issues very closely because I thought something really strange is going on. This is almost war propaganda being repurposed for political campaigns. You're driving Hillary Clinton, who is a very sober, serious, elite, liberal politician, globally minded, established in all power networks in America and the world, into a fit of insanity fighting against a cartoon frog. Something very, very strange is going on. And that's when I got really interested into this. And, uh, well, I think one of the, the strange things is that 
at that at that time during that election, it was like a totally grassroots meme campaign, right? Like the online community you're talking about apparently is is 4chan, and I don't know anything about 4chan uh, except that you it's might be the dark, dark lord dark, of 4chan. Dark. <laughs> Funny story though, I've literally never been on 4chan. <laughs> I, I I've seen these memes on Twitter because I follow a lot of uh, uh, sort of journalists and such. So I follow these kinds of activists and journalists on Twitter, and it's just interesting to see how these kinds of uh, posters, these these uh, Pepe poster type people, really capture the mood and the and the psyche of these journalists, and they just warp the entire political narrative and framework through their silly images. It's it's amazing, really. Well, do you think that meme culture has really influenced how journalists are approaching stuff? I know that you have more internet-based news sites that are using memes as a way to actually communicate with their readers a lot more. Um, one I follow is The Betches. It's uh, <laughs> it's a millennial site, but they do a podcast called The Betches Sup, and it's all about talking about po U.S. politics, and they're meme account is prop their Instagram account is just putting out memes. They've turned this whole thing as a way to talk about headlines and share what they're talking about in their memes. And they have, I think, like 700,000 followers on Instagram. That's a lot. And that's, that's the crazy thing is that it started as this grassroots thing, like nobody organized from, nobody from Donald Trump's campaign yes. organized like this big meme push, right? No. But now then people realized how effective it was and you'll see now that actual campaigns are trying to have like the best meme content and not just campaigns, but like businesses as yeah. well, well will have the best meme content. Uh, you'll see it like uh, Maxime Bernier's leadership campaign in yeah. the conservative party. He by far had like had the best memes out of anyone. And he went from being like a candidate that everyone thought would not do very well because of like the past uh, scandals that he had uh, <laughs> as, as a cabinet minister leading confidential documents around to having like a portion of, of the young person vote far and above what any other candidate had because he was just sharing all these memes. And now like the Conservative Party proper is doing memes. And uh, well, there was liberal Ryan Gosling in like 2011, I want to say. There was a Tumblr account called liberal Ryan Gosling. Oh, no, it was 2015. Mm -hmm. um, and it was just the Ryan Gosling meme talking about Trudeau. Mm -hmm. So. <laughs> uh, but do you think we're going to see the BC Liberals or other BC parties picking up on memes a lot more? I think it's very appropriate for political parties to be paying a lot of attention. I know you said that it was very grassroots, and I, I, I would agree that it, the, the meme contingent online for Donald Trump was significantly grassroots driven, especially the more effective memes that were created on that group. But there was actually various sources of, of uh, Russian foreign policy objectives that were being achieved by this. So. Russia did actually sponsor several, um, I guess, groups and Facebook pages that were basically there to, to sow discord. And this is uh, highlighted by, um, by uh, various news outlets, including Wired.com and the New York Times, where they uh, quote a group called the Alliance for Democracy. And, uh, and they talk about the Internet Research Agency, which is a, is a Moscow and St. Petersburg uh, sort of Russian-adjacent media outlet, which was very much responsible for coordinating various uh, internet campaigns that were there to that were there to basically sow chaos across the American political spectrum. Sorry, are you Russian adjacent if you're in Moscow? 
Yeah. <laughs> or are you just or, Russian? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or are you referring to the state? The like state, yeah. Okay. yeah. So, so the thing is yeah. that the way almost that... Almost an arm of the state. Yeah, almost, exactly. They were not necessarily the Russian State Department or any of that kind of stuff, but they were backed by various uh, moguls and entrepreneurs and oligarchs that are related to Putin. And they financed this kind of meme warfare. And one of their groups, and I encourage people to search this up, was called... Army of Jesus or something, and it was yeah, basically Jesus Army. Jesus I think. Ar- Army of Army Jesus. Of Jesus yeah. yeah, and it was basically posting these very, um, I mean, <laughs> silly memes where they just shows Jesus Christ and Satan in a arm wrestling competition and saying, "Satan, if I win, Clinton wins. Jesus, not if I can help it." And these really stupid memes, but they were backed by the Russian state and various arms of the Russian state, and they were successful actually. If you look at these accounts. They had hundreds of thousands of followers. Some of them might have been fake, but many of them most assuredly were real. Um, So it really goes to show that memes are more than just like the innocent, funny things, cats and toast Mm -hmm. and silly things to laugh about. They're even more than an organic sort of funny way to express your political ideas. They're very dense information packets that can be used as weapons of war, as, as as a propaganda tool by Russia against the West. It sounds absurd to even say this, but it's it's kind of true. And to be fair, the Russian memes were, were much lower quality than the organic ones that that were created by local American <laughs> online agitators, I guess. <laughs> um, but the fact is that, that war in the 21st century is is really transforming into this sort of digital war, sort of influence peddling through covert means and there's this great quote by Karl von Clausewitz who was a uh, a Prussian general who said war is the continuation of politics by other means and the politics of Russia vis-a-vis the US and NATO and the Western Alliance has really been to undermine Western values and the confidence in Western values and one of the tactics they use is to basically sow discord in the West so most of the pages sponsored by Russia were funny enough sort of SJW Black Lives Matter pages that basically try to get black people not interested in the Democratic Party or Democratic politics generally in America. So this is just a purely state-led operation, at least on their part. To try yeah, to I don't want to miss that part in your in your diatribe is that the, the meme pages that Russia was establishing or that these these kind of state-sponsored actors were establishing, yes. they were both left-wing and right-wing. So you'd have Army for Jesus, which was like directed super, towards baby boomers, basically. Yeah, like super really, Christian baby boomer suburb people. Yeah, and the, these memes were like, they're geared for, for older people. They're, they're not yeah. uh, dank in any way. No, uh, <laughs> definitely not. And then you have very left-wing memes. And, and yeah, they would just like set these up to like to polarize the American population. There was one case, I think, where it was a super uh, like gun-friendly group that was backed by Russia, or the internet version of it was backed by Russia, and there was a group called United Muslims of America, and they were yeah. both apparently given instructions to protest at the same event, same time, same date, and real Americans showed up and protested against each other, whereas the two groups that organized these two protests were both backed by the Internet Research Agency. So once again, it just shows that, at least for Russia, the few million dollars they spent on this did, have, did bear some fruit, to be fair. I'm not going to go the, the, the route of saying that this was 
what led to Trump's election because that's ridiculous. There was lots of more real factors that led to Trump's election. And in any case, he, he lost the popular vote by 3 million votes anyway. So it's not like he got a massive groundswell of votes for his victory. But the point is that memes are, are a tool of propaganda. And they're really a war propaganda. And it, we're all familiar with this kind of war propaganda. If we think back to our high school textbooks where we learned about Rosie the Riveter or Uncle Sam and all these kinds of images, I hope uh, our, our host will post these images in the video that will be ensuing. But I have a, a, a few images that I had set up and curated. Uh, one of them is a Nazi propaganda against America, which depicts America in, in, in a very unflattering light, it depicts America as KKK and sort of black music as well as... It's, it's kind of strange. It shows America as just in every way bad, even though the bad are countervailing against each other. And then there's the American propaganda, which shows um, their enemies in World War II as sort of monstrous-looking German and Japanese dual-headed freak. So these are the kinds of like state-sponsored posters and propaganda that were relevant to the World War II battle between them. And of course, we have Rosie the Riveter, which was supposed to be a propaganda aimed internally at the American domestic population to get them to work harder, especially the women who worked in the factories as the men were off at war. So this is bringing it back to the idea that memes aren't just like the internet thing, but that they're really just trying to convey an idea exactly, in, like exactly. a, in a condensed format. And so you know, memes yes. were used in the 20th century as, as war propaganda. Yes. And uh, I mean, once again, if you look back to your high schools, you, if you remember the World War One propaganda, that. Britain and British uh, colonial troops like and colonial uh, holdings that Canada had beat back the Hun with liberty bonds and all these kinds of posters and propaganda that really flooded Canada during World War One, trying to encourage Canadians to have you know more support for the war effort. These were very simple images cartoonishly and grotesquely exaggerated about how evil Germans are and how their Huns or whatever, um, but these are these are war propaganda. So it's it's kind of a, a full circle coming where memes started off as these grotesque images that were really used for war propaganda, and now they're circling back into being that, except used by non-state actors as well as state actors. Um, there's another picture of uh, of the U.S. leaflets that they dropped over Afghanistan during the 2001 invasion. It shows several of the Taliban and Al Qaeda uh, senior leaders as basically ghoulish monsters. So it shows that even in 2001, 2002, the states is interested in using this sort of image warfare, propaganda warfare, leaflet psyops against Afghan civilians to try to get civilians in Afghanistan to turn against the uh, Taliban and, uh, and uh, Al Qaeda. Which yeah, goes I'm kind of looking at them right now. They kind of look like they're from Fallout 3. Yeah, they're, they're kind of very disturbing looking, but I think what they're trying to look like is they're trying to make them look like uh, jinns, which are sort of devilish creatures in Islamic myth, uh, theology. In any case, the point is that, that memes have made a, a full circle. They are uh, dense information packets that have gone from war propaganda in the beginning back to war propaganda again now with a brief interlude as... <laughs> as actual entertainment. As actual entertainment for young people to express um, various uh, mm -hmm. emotions and ideas. Okay, well, let's bring it home. Uh, Zoe, do you think that this is going to be relevant to BC, or do you think that, I don't know, for some reason that 
politics in BC might be a little bit too small to really jump on the meme train. I think that people will do it, whether or not it actually catches on to the <laughs> same extent we've seen it catch on in the US is, I don't think, I, I mean, just even looking at the last election in Canada in general, memes really didn't play as big of a part of it. And we were we were right around the time that the whole Trump thing, Trump train started. I personally don't really see it being a big part as much, but you know, it's BC, you never know what could happen. I can see memes making a an impact on the BC election once again because so many because the because the media environment is very small. There's very few journalists. They're all on Twitter. They all see each other. They all follow each other. You get into the mentions, you get into the replies, and memes can take a life of their own and they can help frame the narrative after that. So it depends on who who has the energy on their side. I can see and I know a very good NDP memes that have been lampooning our leader, Andrew Wilkinson. I mean, I'm a fan of Andrew Wilkinson, but there has been some some missteps I guess he has taken and also some very good mockery of him that has been done by NDP operatives. Thankfully, they haven't done it too much, and I'm not going to really reveal what they have <laughs> been because they're good. But there's many ways, and Jordan, you know that you've created a couple of them, that you can make fun of the NDP. The NDP has run kind of a shambolic government over the last, I guess, two years now it's been. Um, they presided over a, a disappearance of private sector jobs. They presided over a housing collapse and all that kind of stuff. There is um, real policy reasons that the NDP has failed. Now, if you can translate that into information-dense packets of images, then you have, the, you have the head start, and you can get those images into the mentions and into the replies of journalists on Twitter or on Facebook, news comments then you can start framing the narrative of the upcoming election. Well, I think that one of the issues with getting it really into the political dialogue is that people don't really pay attention to provincial politics much between election as compared That's to true. like federal politics That's or true. even like the U.S. election, right? So when they pay attention to it less, they're not really as aware of the caricature that yes. exists of the mm -hmm. leaders, right, and, and, and the players in that political scene, right? Whereas people would beam like Supreme Court candidates for the for the United States, right? But other people, like so many people just don't even know who Andrew Wilkinson is, or they'll know the name John Horgan, but they know like nothing else no, about nothing him. More, yeah. And so when you don't know the background like that, then, well, the, the meme just isn't shareable, yeah. right? Yes. Because the, the yeah. archetype isn't there. Yes. Uh, and then the other thing that I was thinking of is that you said that you know it, it might depend on which party has like the energy to put into it and the other part of that might be risk tolerance right because memes can really help you but, but they then can they can really you. hurt you they if they're done wrong right so or they easily. can like you can have like the the meme the meme crowd jump off your train like uh, 4chan <laughs> did with Donald Trump and now they're with Andrew Yang uh, but yeah so like they can be very risky I don't know maybe Zoe's the political insider of all of us so she could probably tell us <laughs> oh, God, no. if uh, if the people at, at HQ are are a little wary of of trying to put out like memes right from the the party from the party Twitter account they're more interested in infographics it seems I mean I can't speak for that don't I don't really talk to them but I think that is a big question you have to ask. Every political party is going to look at in this in all the elections coming up is what is the risk that comes with the meme? Is it worth it? 
So one of the ways to get around that is to have a third party sort of <laughs> contractor doing this, which is the way well, that the Putin regime yeah. has Maybe done it. Maybe like have another state. We could pay another <laughs> state to well, uh, Russia, so, if yeah, you're listening. So <laughs> interesting on that, though. With the federal election coming up, Facebook yes. did just announce all of their restrictions on um, third parties okay. influencing elections. Um, there's actually now a federal minister of state that is focused on democratic digital democracy okay um the minister of truth i believe wow we're really (laughs) entering some real dark zones so do you think that'll actually play a role in this in this upcoming federal election this will be the first time they've actually implemented these federal election for sure there's going to be much more of a meme war waged on the federal scene than the provincial scene but with the third parties being more restricted on what they're going to be able to do. I don't know how you're going to restrict them. You're talking about posting images on Twitter and Facebook. The, the, it's, it basically costs nothing. Like you, it you costs, can't, that's the thing. That's, it, that's the amazing thing. It's yeah. three to five million dollars, at least in the Russian case, that yeah. they spent. They weren't widely successful, but they were successful enough for how little money they spent. Look at like Ontario Proud. Ontario, Ontario Proud's Proud is like yeah. kind of a, a right-wing yeah. grassroots organization, that yeah. non-partisan. Yeah. Uh, but all they did was attack whoever was polling higher or the highest in the polls out of the end. And, Ontario NDP and the Ontario Liberals, yes. and they spent like nothing. Nothing, yeah. Well, you, uh, like even a million dollars, they even spent. Yeah, that? I don't even know, but no. I don't well, think there's so. very strict restrictions on what third parties can spend. Even, but it now. doesn't matter because you could your reach, your so your reach for yeah. a dollar is so high so with leveraged. internet yes. that you know your your these these rules are made for traditional third parties yeah. that are reaching people by mail. Seven dollars to reach people with mail yeah, and telephone. And, yeah, and you know you're restricting them to be able to reach you know like the x thousands of people. Exactly. And then when all of a sudden the same rule gets applied to an internet organization, they're reaching like three or five people, more, yeah. the five times more people. Yeah. It's it's just not comparable at all. The rules aren't the same yeah. when they're applied to the two different just groups. Just because the leverage is so high, I think we're going to see more and more political parties and. Um, NGOs and various third-party organizations that are affiliated with political parties engaging more in this sort of meme warfare just because the risk-reward is so good, especially if it's a third party. Um, as, it, as we were just saying, it's just images that you share online that have high truth value. So I can see it happening more and more. I don't know what kind of restrictions can really hamper it unless you have very, very draconian <laughs> mini true sort of uh, <laughs> restrictions coming on where you have, uh, I don't know, social media companies forced to delete or auto-delete things. I don't see that in the in the near future, at least. One of the weird things with politics becoming so uh, drenched in memes is <laughs> is that the memes are also hurting the politicians themselves. Is they'll like they'll like something from like ten years ago, <laughs> and people will scroll back on their feed. They didn't even share this meme, but they liked a meme that was offensive, <laughs> and it just like creates all sorts of havoc for them. Uh, I think that actually happened in the Alberta election that's currently ongoing recently, right? Like somebody yeah. somebody liked some sort of meme from like five years ago. And now they're paying for it in attack ads from the NDP <laughs> that are saying that he's not fit to hold office because he liked a meme. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, in, in a sense, the Alberta NDP is kind of wise because memes, as I was saying, are really uh, a very es- uh, capturing a very essential truth, an essence of a, of a subject matter. They capture really the the absolute deep archetype of an idea. So... I don't know exactly the the case in question, and I'm sure it's sillier than I'm making it sound. But there is there is rationale, there is some logical grounding for the Alberta NDP to 
be attacking, I don't know, the conservative candidates, whoever it may be, based on their appreciation of a certain meme if it's very offensive because it is a way to signal that this person is uh, out of balance maybe. Well, so I, basically I was saying that he's, he's getting in trouble for liking something that's comedic, for, for taking part in comedy. And what your counterpoint is basically is that comedy isn't just comedy. Comedy is also very serious. Well, George Comedy's Orwell trying... said every joke is a mini revolution. So Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I mean, I mean, I see the point in that. But at the same time, we're, when, when we do things that way, we're, we're creating like this, this culture of fear around participating in the comedic oh, scene, right? Yes. And that's very Definitely. dangerous. Like it's it's the same thing as 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 chilling regular speech. Yes. Except yes. except for the fact that comedy is an even is more more important, important, than important than type speech. of speech. Yes. It's it's a Absolutely. subset of speech and you use it to like to challenge society and to challenge ideas or to to try to like challenge any power centers that may exist. Yeah, or yep. even to like to take a, an idea that's really readily accepted and and acknowledge like that there's some sort of ridiculous root in it as well that the, that it's it's still funny in some way and you can <laughs> and you can you can poke at it a little bit. I think though if we censure everyone who just likes something on the internet just blind like sometimes I've even caught my own parents doing this where they'll look at something like it and not get what it is and then I'll be like mom why mm. did you like this it's like <laughs> yeah. not really appropriate this is an inquisition for liking things on yeah. Facebook now wow <laughs> well I think we've gone to that point where there have been so many things especially because there's a generational gap where social media I think around when we were all in high school around when we were all would have been in high school there wasn't there weren't rules on social media so we all had to learn it as we went and there's a lot of things we've probably posted as kids when we were in high school that we look back and we're like oh no why did we do that you have so many like the first thing everyone does when they graduate university is hide every photo they don't want people to see <laughs> on their public profile and well, people are deactivating their facebook accounts much yeah. more frequently now i think we've just gone to the point where what we do on the internet is becoming so closely monitored, especially if you're in the public eye, that it's a little dangerous where we're getting to with that point. Now it's, you have so many, you can't, you basically can't do anything on the internet without offending someone. So I sense this is a very self-interested answer coming from you that you don't want to <laughs> censure people for uh, liking offensive Please content don't. because perhaps Please don't you look have at done it in history. the past. <laughs> and, uh, you know, really, if we, uh, like, the, the future... Edgy memes for Zoe Vaggins. <laughs> Please don't look at my history. <laughs> the future can't be like that, though, where they, where they keep on punishing people for memes because otherwise if they do that, the only person who's going to be able to run for office was, like, the homeschooled kid down the street named, Who like, doesn't have Ezekiel access. Bob. Who's never? Ezekiel who thinks Bob. that hyphen, hyphenated Ezekiel Bob? So Ezekiel no Bob, did, whole name, yeah, never got Facebook, and then he's gonna run for like the Wild Rose Party at some point in the future. Is gonna get resurrected, and he'll be the only one where they won't have any attack ad material, unless of course he did an online sermon, and then he's gonna be screwed. Uh, yeah, but yeah, basically at this point, there's gonna be most millennials probably will have something that they've liked, shared or commented on that will probably get, if they ever decide to run for public office or be in the public eye, will probably get brought up at very inconvenient times. I know it happened like totally off topic without politics, but there were like every season on The Bachelor and Bachelorette, there's always, <laughs> hey. Of course, two guys start laughing, <laughs> Der the, derisive laughter. <laughs> there is always a contestant that has 
a comment they liked or a meme they liked that comes out and you're like, you're not even in the, you're barely in the public eye. Do you make it past the, past the first rose ceremony? But that becomes <laughs> the topic of everyone's conversation for the next week. Yeah, well, okay. There, there's some there's some nuance to this though. So we're saying generally no, you know, you shouldn't get pu punished for uh, for liking offensive comment content. But at the same time, I think Siavash has a point. You when you like content like that, there there's some part of your character that's going into it, right? Where you're saying like I approve this or you I don't know, I can't really articulate it right now, but anyways, there there's something that sets people off and puts them on the defensive. So, where is the line then? So like we we I think that there's obviously some grace we show for people when something that they liked is like 10 years back. And then there's grace for something that's clearly satirical or comedy, right? But then what happens when you take like one or both of those elements away? Like what happens when you like, when you, when you like a meme, which is clearly like white supremacist, right? Like it's, it's making fun of the equality of races and you like that meme and it's from 10 years ago. So that's a really bad meme to like, and, it, and there's probably like no excuse for it, but it's still 10 years in the past. Well, if this person changed his mind, do we have grace for that person? Or, you know, what if it's just like a politically incorrect meme, but you like it during the election campaign, then you've removed the time element. So I don't know, like it, 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 it makes it really complicated. Well, this means that in the future, I mean, I can't answer this properly, but what I can see happening in the future is that in terms of people in the public eye, especially politicians in the future, it will result in either two two types of politicians. One, extremely politically correct, ones who, of a type like Ezekiel Bob, as you said, someone who just happened to never have gotten into social media for whatever reason, maybe he was homeschooled, maybe he's from a rural environment. I don't know what that means exactly, because it's not like rural people don't have internet. Have internet. But, but yeah, somehow didn't have internet, somehow didn't, get into social media for whatever reasons and has no digital footprint to uh, to drag him with though that's going to be one type of character that's allowed on uh, in in the public eye especially as it relates to politics and maybe media that's one type then another type would be super politically correct type who just never offends anyone even though they do have an internet pre presence and then the third will be extremely not politically correct people who just don't care at all People well, like Trump, for yeah. example. <laughs> I think we've got a People example. like Bolsonaro, Trump, even uh, Doug Ford would be, I guess, a Canadian case of this. People mm -hmm. whose entire identity and personality is uh, contrarian and um, designed to be triggering. They're not afraid of picking the fight. Yeah, they're not afraid of picking the fight. And that's not good. You don't want well, I <laughs> you don't want people who are just like who've created a crafted a personality of who will say the first thing that comes to their yeah, mind without that's not really good. censoring like, themselves. A, a key part of being an adult is to not be like that. <laughs> have a filter. Yes. Yeah. But this is the unfortunate world that I think we're, we're heading towards. And I don't think we have many Ezekiel Bobs who are just like good natured and simply don't have any uh, online history. I think you're going to have extremely politically correct or school marms, basically, versus these extremely offensive and almost like gratuitously offensive Bolsonaro or Trump type characters. Uh, that's really interesting. Okay, I, I, I think I agree with that because I think in my, like, my magical utopia, uh, what would happen is that there'd be, in, in the problem that I brought up where you, you're taking away things like time or you know, just being politically incorrect, I would hope that eventually you get to this point where uh, people will just look at this candidate 
and they look at all the circumstances and the evidence and they weigh the facts and they say, okay, is this person actually a bad person or did they just share something that was bad or they believed something bad in the past and now they're different? And, uh, and I'm going to make my decision based on that. That would be like my utopian vision. That's not going to happen. But yeah. it's not going to happen because it's not very conducive to like to, like to media. Drama. Yeah, drama. Exactly. They like quick like moving rage. politics, want, quick moving media. Yeah. 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 It, it goes to the part where like the whole like memes are great because it's so easy to consume quickly without really thinking about it. And, and it's very dense. Lots yeah. of dense information consumed very quickly. No yeah. time for nuance. Yeah. Like you're looking at the whole world of social media where it's built around really isn't meant for people who are actively analyzing what they're looking at in that moment. You might look back on it later and say, oh yeah, that may have not been the best thing to like, but in that moment, it's fast, con fast consumed media. Well, this has been a very fun and insightful conversation, Siavash. Thank you very much for joining us on the show. Well, thank you for hosting me. Everyone, thank you for joining us on Majority of BC. Uh, please follow us on Twitter, uh, at Majority of BC, or on our Facebook group, Majority of BC. Uh, check out our YouTube channel as well, also named Majority of BC. And uh, BC Liberals, if you're listening, Siavash would be willing to do memes for hire. So thank you very much. <laughs> we'll do memes for rent. <laughs>